Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. All right, Acts chapter number 24. And, of course, if you remember last week as we were going through, we covered a lot of chapter 22 and all of chapter 23. And uh, a lot of, really, a lot of craziness uh, is what I would call it, ensues in the life of Paul. Uh, He's told several times before he even gets to Jerusalem, hey, uh, persecution is going to take place. In fact, you're going to be imprisoned. You're going to be bound. If you remember Agabus when he was in Caesarea was all uh, theatrical in the way that he bound himself up with Paul's belt and said, whoever's belt this is is going to be bound just like this in Jerusalem. And uh, Paul, he saw all of that as, okay, I'm going to prepare for that. It's coming. So I'm going to prepare for that. And then he gets to Jerusalem. And man, it just breaks out like crazy. Some of the Jews from Asia, from most likely Ephesus, because they uh, recognize Trophimus in Ephesian, they're in Jerusalem with Paul. They stir up a riot saying that Paul came into the temple unclean and defiled the temple grounds because of uh, bringing Trophimus, this Gentile, into the court of, uh, the, past the court of the Gentiles and defaming the temple mount. And so, because of all of that taking place, a riot ensues. The Romans have to get involved. Claudius Lysias, the captain of the guard there, take, takes him, tries to question him. And still, right now, Claudius, uh, even though he's already sent Paul off to Felix, and that's where we're going to pick it up today, Claudius still really doesn't fully know what's going on. <laughs> uh, he, all he knows is the Jews are mad at this guy for some reason. I think it's because of something in their law, but I can't quite tell because they didn't say when they had their counsel that he had done anything punishable uh, enough to be uh, put to death or to be imprisoned. But we got this guy in custody. You decide, Felix. And so that's where we pick it up in chapter number 24 is, uh, if you'll recall, the last verse of 23 He's in Caesarea, okay? He's been given to Felix, uh, but, but Felix is waiting until those who are accusing Paul come to Caesarea, okay? And that's where we pick it up in verse 1. We're just going to read a few verses, verse 1, verse 10, and then verse 24 and 25 of the chapter, and we'll cover uh, all of the in-between verses as we go through the message this morning. But pick it up with me there, chapter 24 of Acts, verse number 1. The Bible says, And after five days, Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul. Okay, now go to uh, verse number 10. Okay, we're going to cover what they did uh, there at court in just a moment. But verse number 10, then Paul, after that, the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, Answered, for as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. So we're going to see what they say. We're going to see what Paul says. And then look at verse 24 and 25 with me. And really what uh, the focus of the message is going to be is on Felix's uh, response to all of this. Verse 24 says, And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he, Paul, reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled 
and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. And really, I just want to look at a, this thought. There's a lot that we could unpack and applications that we're going to be able to draw from this chapter. But this is the, really the question I want ingrained in our minds uh, is, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? We're going to see uh, Felix uh, continue to procrastinate a decision that he shouldn't have procrastinated, he shouldn't have put off. And I hope that this morning we'll be challenged uh, that too often we do the same thing. But what are we waiting for? The time is now, and I hope we'll see that. But before we dive into that, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. And uh, in the quietness of our own hearts, let's just ask the Lord to speak to us. And uh, maybe something quick. Uh, prayer to the Lord. Lord, would you please speak to me and whatever you speak to me about, I'll respond to it. Do that in the quietness of your own heart for just a moment. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for uh, this beautiful day that we have to be together and to be able to worship you. And Lord, we, we truly do hope that you would just be lifted up and honored and glorified through what we're doing today. And Lord, we pray now that we're diving into your word that uh, it would, as you've promised uh, promised in your word, accomplish that which you please. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to each and every one of us individually in our hearts and uh, help it, Lord, not to just stir us emotionally, but help it to uh, change us uh, into action, Lord, into doing something uh, with what we hear today. We thank you again for uh, your word, how it's living and how it's active, and we pray, Lord, that this time would just be a time where we open our hearts and hear from you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you waiting for? Have you ever uh, had that question asked to you before? Uh, a lot of times when that, when that question is asked, woo, when that question is asked, a lot of times it's in the context of life change, right? Uh, or or some kind of uh, lifelong dream. Maybe someone has always wanted to start a coffee shop or someone wants to lose 40 pounds or whatever the case might be, some kind of huge decision like that, life change or lifelong dream, that a response often to those types of things is, well, what are you waiting for? <laughs> what, what's keeping you from doing that? Why, why don't you start your own coffee shop? Why don't you write a book? Why don't you do that? What are you waiting for? And mo more often than not, uh, the response to that question then is some kind of excuse or line of excuses uh, that, that of why we're not doing that, right? Uh, well, because I, I can't do that because this is about to take place. I remember in my life, this is specifically, I'll get, I'll get personal with it in, for a moment. I was going to do a diet, okay? Three or four years ago, I was at my heaviest. Uh, I, was, I was, for my size, I should not be over 200 pounds. And so at that time, I was like, I got to do something. Uh, but every time someone would be like, well, what are you waiting for? Like, you and your wife say you're going to do this keto diet thing. Why don't you do it? I'm like, well, my birthday's coming up, and I got all these free things, you know, in the app. So I'm going to get a free Annie Ann's pretzel and a free thing at Mod Pizza. And three, and so I can't, I can't, like, start a diet and then cheat for a whole week because of a bunch of free stuff. And really, I can't do it before that because uh, Rebecca's birthday's before that, and I'm going to have to take her on a birthday date, and we're going to not be able to do that. And then after all of that is done, they're like, so you're going 
going to start your diet now? No, the fair's coming up here in Moses Lake, and they've got tater dogs. Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried it. It's basically, instead of a bun, they use a potato and then have a hot dog in the middle, and they throw chili and cheese. It's a bunch of heart attack goodness, okay? Uh, but I was like, no, nah, they got tater dogs at the fair. They got a bunch of deep-fried uh, yummy stuff there, and so I'll do it after the fair, and then the fair comes, and they're like, so are you going to start your diet? And then I didn't have any excuses anymore. Oh, no, there's nothing coming. I, I mean, I'm sure I could have figured out an excuse, but uh, many times that's really what it is a lot, uh, a lot of the time, right? And someone's like, well, what are you waiting for? Just do it now. And you're like, well, well, and we can come up with excuses. And in our passage today, we see uh, Felix presented with evidence of not only uh, the fact that Paul was innocent, but also he was presented with evidence of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. And uh, even it even says, and we'll get to it, that he understands this way or that way, the, uh, what they call, the early Christians called themselves the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. He says, it, he understand that even more perfectly. And yet, even after all of that, his decision wasn't a decision based upon that he didn't understand the gospel. Uh, but his decision really was this. It's not a convenient time for me to change my life right now. It's not a convenient time. And it really, that's what it comes down to when we come up with excuses, is we're trying to wait for a more convenient time to do something. But the reality is this. There's really never a convenient or easy time to start something. Uh, we can always come up with an excuse to not do something if we really want to. But even in spiritual matters, I think many times, we, it's not that we don't understand the next step that God wants us to take. And it's not that we, uh, many times people don't understand the gospel, but that in our minds we say, well, it's, it's just not a convenient time. I'll do that later in life. I hope that we'll learn today uh, that we shouldn't do that. We'll compare some scripture with scripture toward the end of the message. But before we get to even that thought, let's unpack what takes place here, okay? How Felix really learns all of this before he makes this decision to procrastinate. Verse uh, number one tells us that uh, the, the Sanhedrin, the council, Ananias, they, they come before, they come up to Caesarea. It says they descended. And of course, if you recall, any time that says they go down, doesn't necessarily mean they went south. They were coming down from uh, the high point of Jerusalem into Caesarea. And they're going to come and confront uh, Felix about all of what they think Paul has done wrong. But I think that something that's interesting in it is I think even more so uh, after reading the first verse that they knew they had no case against him because they found a, a sweet talker to, to present the case for them. This man named Tertullus, it says he was an orator and he gets up and he starts to talk to Felix. Uh, verse two and three, it says, and when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, accuse Paul saying, seeing that by thee, we enjoy great quietness and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I uh, pray thee that thou wouldest hear us of thy clemency a few words. So 
he starts off by just flattering him, right? Uh, he, he's like, man, we have quietness in front of you, Felix. And, and uh, so much of what is taking place in, in the greatness of this area of our time is because of you. And we know you're great. And, and you have given us peaceable lives, which uh, histor- I'm told by historians, none of that was true in the, in the sense of that the Jews, any of them thought that about Felix. Uh, even a Roman a historian by the name of Tacitus said that he was a master, Felix was a master of cruelty and lust. And, and that uh, he exercised the power of a king with the spirit of a slave. That he was just brutal. He was brutal toward everyone. And so uh, if, if you compare what historians said people thought about him and what Tertullius is saying, uh, or Tertullus, it, it just doesn't add up. He's flattering him, saying, hey, we know you're su- something great, and we all love you, and because of that, uh, le- let's get that out of the way and just know that you're going to do a good job with this. Here's, here's our argument, okay? And he really has three arguments against Paul. The first one is he says he's a pest. He says this man is a pestilent fellow. Uh, he's a he's he's a plague to our society. He's a he's a leech to our society. What we would say it this way: uh, he's a cancer, right? That's that's what he's basically saying. He's a cancer to Jerusalem and to your uh, and to your government, to the Roman government as a whole. He's he's a cancer to this society. And then uh, the next the next thing that he says is that uh, he is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Uh, that he, he was some kind of insurrectionist of this heresy of Judaism. Uh, but we're going to see uh, Paul, really, Paul really explains t- very well that uh, it wasn't just a, a branch off of Judaism that he was teaching, but that it was really the fulfillment through Jesus Christ of all that they were looking for in Judaism. Uh, but the, the sect of the Nazarenes, that was another word that uh, the people, not the Christians themselves, not the believers, but that the other people gave them. It was kind of another dig. Like Christians was like, oh, those people are kind of like that Jesus guy. We'll just call them Christians. They're little uh, little Christ. They're, they're li- living like uh, that Christ fellow. And so we're going to call them Christians. Uh, and then sect of the Nazarenes was another dig. Uh, you remember back in, I think it's John chapter 1 or 2 when uh, Nathaniel says, can anything good uh, come out of Nazareth? Like, that was their mindset. Nothing can, good can come out of Nazareth. And so this was really another dig to the Christians. They follow that one guy who's from the place that none of us really like. Uh, he's a ringleader of those kind of people. Uh, and then his last, his last uh, accusation against him was that he was going to profane the temple that he was going to come up and defile the temple grounds. So he comes with three, three things that all really, to the Roman government, that it was important to them. If you recall, the political uh, leaders of Rome, uh, Rome was very, very adamant that they keep the peace, right? And so if a guy comes up and says, this guy is a menace, uh, he's, uh, he's a cancer to our society, he's causing insurrection, and he was going to defame the temple, causing a riot. That would be something that would perk up the ears of Felix, right? And, uh, and then he says, uh, right at the end, he says, uh, whom we took, okay, and would have judged according to our law, but the chief captain Lysias came up upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come unto thee by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things, whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. Uh, I don't know if you caught it, but he just basically 
threw Claudius Lysias under the bus uh, by saying, really, this is an open and shut case. We were about to do what we know is supposed to take place. We were going to take him because he defiled our temple grounds. We were going to go, and it's punishable by death. We were going to do that. But your guy, Lysias, came in violently and took him away from us. Really, this was an open and shut case, but your guy got involved. And because of that, we're so sorry that you have to hear us today on this matter. We would have taken care of it ourselves, but, but we apologize that it's now in front of you, uh, and, and now you have to take care of this. But really, this is, a, this, is, this is an open and shut case. It's easy to know that this guy is guilty. And, and that's what he says to, uh, to Felix, okay? Now, when we get to verse number 10, I love this. Verse number 9 says, all the other Jews are like, yep, that's right. Yep, we agree with exactly what he said. And so it seems as though this smooth talker, uh, this majority that's against Paul, it seems like all is against Paul in this moment. He's probably going to lose this case. But I love it because Paul gets up, and he doesn't start out with flattery uh, like Tertullus did. He, he just says a known fact. Uh, at verse 10, it says, uh, for as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. He's like, Felix, you've been around the block. You've been here for a long time. Uh, it, it, it said that Felix was in charge before he was in Caesarea, was in charge of, uh, of the area of Samaria. So he would have been familiar with the dealings between Jews and Gentiles and Samaritans. He would have been uh, very familiar with all of this. But at the same time, because he wasn't a Jew and he wasn't uh, in Jerusalem, he would have had no, uh, no preconceived notion against Christianity. And Paul knows this. And so Paul uh, speaks out very clearly, says, hey, you've been around the block. You know what's going on. You know these kind of matters, how they take place. So I'm glad that I get to answer for myself. And here's the first thing I want to say. It's only been 12 days since I even came to Jerusalem. I, don't have, I didn't have time to do what they're tell, saying that I did. You know, it wasn't like today we have Facebook events that you can like set up and everyone knows to show up to a place. I think of last year, uh, the, the uh, Area 51 raid that they tried to do. I don't know if you remember them doing that, but they just literally set up a Facebook event and hundreds, if not thousands of people were like, oh yeah, we'll do that. We'll raid Area 51. And a bunch of people RSVP'd to it and uh, not as many showed up because they chickened out. But uh, they, they at least knew about the event, right? Oh, we're going to do this. And uh, this past year, there's this thing called the Josh fight. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, this na man named Josh uh, went online and, was, uh, and Facebook messaged every single Josh he could find on Facebook and said, uh, do you know why we're all here? And someone was like, we all have the same name. He's like, that's right. These coordinates, this time, this day, we're going to fight it out. Whoever wins gets to keep the name Josh. And a bunch of people showed up in Lincoln, Nebraska and fought out with pool noodles to see. And this little kid, it was really cool. You got to go watch it. Uh, this little kid named Josh won and gets to keep the name Josh. But it wasn't like that back then, right? They didn't have that kind of stuff that you can just say, hey, everyone wants to show up at this point right here and we're going to do this insurrection. It wasn't that easy for Paul. Paul couldn't just do that, okay? It was very obvious that he didn't have any time to uh, raise an insurrection or a riot against uh, these people or, or even have the time to put together enough people to defame the temple. And he very clearly says, Felix, I've, it's been 12 days, like, since I was in Jerusalem. It's been 12 days. You, you know nothing can be done in that quick of a time. And then he says, uh, 
I was there to worship, verse 11. And then it says, And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues, nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things whereof now they accused me. <laughs> He's like, none of them saw me. Uh, none of them saw me arguing with people in the temple. None of them saw me raising up people and starting a riot. None of them saw any of this stuff taking place. And even the stuff they're accusing me of, they have no evidence at all of this. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. This is where I see Paul taking a moment to really point someone to Jesus. Because Felix, uh, none of what Paul's about to say really probably would have mattered to Felix. The, po the important part's already been taken care of. I'm not an insurrectionist. I'm not, I'm not here to uh, start a riot. I'm not against the Roman government. That, that puts Felix's mind at ease. But uh, they also said that I, I believe a heresy. So let's talk on that subject is really what Paul is saying. Here's, here's a chance for me to share uh, the love of Christ with someone uh, in this time. Woo! That wind came in strong. So this is what... All right, there we go. We got... <laughs> this is the fun, right? This is the fun of being in the park. So this is what Paul says, all right? This is what Paul says. He says, uh, I have a hope toward God, verse 15, which they themselves also allow that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. If you remember when he was in the council of the Sanhedrin and he was up there talking to them, he very boldly said, hey, I'm here called because of the resurrection of the dead. And it turned the Pharisees and the Sadducees against each other right there in the council. And he's saying, look, what I believe in is the fact of the resurrection of this man named Jesus Christ. That's what I believe in. It's the fulfillment of all the things that they affirm, a belief in God, a belief in the law and prophets. I affirm those things. And all of it leads to uh, this man, Jesus Christ, that, that I know and uh, that I believe in. I believe it's the fulfillment of Judaism, not a sect of uh, or heresy of Judaism like they would try to tell you. And he says this, uh, and herein I do exercise myself to, always, to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Here again, uh, Paul able to say, I have a good and clean conscience before God and before man. To the best of my ability, I'm not living a double life. I'm not, I'm not living uh, in a way that uh, some people believe I'm one way and some people believe I'm another. Uh, I'm not one way before God and then before people another way. I'm, God see, the way God sees me and the way man, people, man sees me, uh, it, is, it's just who I am. I do, the, to the best of my ability, live out what I believe. He says, I have a good conscience before everyone. And just a side application one of the best ways to live your life void of uh, fear of man and void of uh, lack of peace or anything like that is just to live an authentic life. <laughs> uh, it is so, it, if you just live in good conscience toward God and toward people, it relieves so much anxiety. <laughs> you don't have to believe, you don't have to remember, oh, who am I in front of my work, uh, my coworkers? Who am I in front of my friends? Who am I in front of, uh, you don't got to think about all that and try to live these double lives or anything like that. Just living uh, according to the way that God tells us in his word in good conscience toward him and toward other people is one of the best ways 
to live free of anxiety and fear of man and all of that. And Paul here is like, I, I have a good conscience toward God, toward, toward man. It's clean. Uh, and then he goes on to say, Now after many years I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult, who ought to have been here before thee, and object if they had ought against me. So Paul says, uh, here's another thing. They say I'm a cancer to this society and everything. I literally brought money from outside of our uh, community into our community. Uh, I, I, brought, I brought money from Gentiles to help the Jews in Jerusalem. Uh, I was helping the community here. I wasn't here to start up anything. And then he says, uh, and the people who accused me, they found me clean in the temple. They didn't find me doing anything that we weren't supposed to do. I went through the, the ritualistic cleaning that I was supposed to uh, seven days prior to even getting into the temple. I went through all of that. They didn't find me. Uh, they, or they found me clean in the temple. And the people who originally ca- accused me, where are they? They're not even here. Apparently, the people from Asia, the Jews from Asia who accused him and said he's defiling the temple grounds, uh, apparently they went back to Asia. They, they weren't even going to be here in the court case uh, against him. And he's like, if they have something against me, why aren't they here? And that, in Roman law, if the person who originally accused you wasn't there to accuse you again in front of uh, the officiant, it pretty much was supposed to be, this case is closed. Like, he's innocent because the people who originally accused him aren't here, but Felix, again, we see him kind of putting things off already to uh, appease the Jews and to keep his political power as, uh, as politicians do. They haven't changed in centuries, okay, uh, from this time all the way till now. Uh, they do what they can. He's doing what he can to uh, just keep the peace, really, is what he's trying to do. And it says, uh, none of them, these people here even, verse 20, if they have found any evil doing in me, while I stood before the council, uh, except it be for this one voice that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called into question by you this day. So he recalls the people who are originally accused me, they're not here. The people who are here have nothing to accuse me of except for maybe that they didn't like something I said when I was in front of their council. That's really it. Some of them don't believe in the resurrection, but some of them do. So some of them are, might have that against me, but other than that, I have a clean conscience today. Nothing uh, here of what they've said or accused me of is true. And it says, And when Felix, verse 22, heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lysias the chief captain shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. He puts it off. (laughs) Puts off the decision instead of saying, Wow, yeah. I see it. I see what you believe. I see what you say. I see they have no case. The people who originally accused you aren't even here. Case dismissed. You're free to go. Instead of doing that, he says, I'm going to defer this matter and wait to hear Lysias, uh, what he has to say on this. Well, if you've been tracking the story with us, he already knows Lysias' side of the story. He literally read the letter that said from Lysias, hey, these people, I don't really know what's going on, but they think, seem to have something against him. You take care of it. He already knew Lysias' side of the story. Okay? He already knew that Paul was a Roman citizen and what he could and could not do to uh, Paul because of that. He already knew these things, and yet we see him procrastinating and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to put it off, and when Lysias comes, then I'll, I'll really know what's going on here. 
And then it tells us in verse 23, he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. So Felix, probably knowing, one, that Paul was a Roman citizen, and two, that Paul was innocent, uh, he, he tells him, we're going to keep him kind of in our quarters, uh, but don't, don't uh, keep anything from him. Let his friends come and minister to him. Let him speak freely. Uh, let him have freedom here, okay? He's going to stay here with us in Caesarea, and he would for two years, uh, but he, give him freedom to do some stuff, okay? And it tells us that after a certain amount of days, verse 24, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, uh, and he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he, as Paul, reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way, for this... Uh, lost my place. For this time, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. So... What I, this is humorous if you, if you do some study, okay? Because Felix, his wife was uh, named Drusilla. Her, her father was King Agrippa I, the one who had James the Apostle killed earlier in the book of Acts. Her uncle was Herod Antipas, the one who, uh, who killed John the Baptist, beheaded, beheaded John the Baptist. Her granddad uh, would have been Herod the Great, the one who killed all the babies uh, when Jesus was born, okay? So uh, great home life, right? Drusilla uh, came from that background, and even more so, her brother, Herod Agrippa II, had arranged for a marriage with her at age 14 or 15, to marry someone uh, politically uh, up in, in uh, a northern area of, of Syria and, and really just to be a part of all of this Jerusalem area. And uh, their family was, was Jewish in the sense that they practiced or followed Judaism not very well, mind you, because they consistently had people calling against them for their immoral lifestyle. Uh, but then Felix, enter Felix into the story. Felix, uh, he comes in lusts after Drusilla. She was a very beautiful woman, uh, is what uh, historians say. She was known for her beauty. And, uh, and so Felix saw her, lusted after her, and con convinced her to leave her husband for him. So it was her second marriage, his third, okay? So think about all of that in the context of they call Paul before them to talk about his faith in Christ. But what I love is it says that he unpacks to them. He reasons with them, dialogues with them about righteousness, the fact that God has a moral standard, okay, about uh, temperance, about self-control, keeping your lusts and all of that in under submission, okay, and then of judgment to come, that one day all of us will stand before God for what we've done on this earth. That's what he talks to them about, okay? So knowing their background and what Paul talks to them about, no wonder Felix then is trembling with conviction. It says he trembled at this. Uh, he, he was literally shaking from the conviction of what he heard from Paul. And yet, instead of allowing that conviction and the stirring up emotionally, uh, um, the stirring up of his emotions, instead of allowing that to move him to action, to come to faith in Jesus Christ and to repent of all that he had done, he says, you know what? Right now is not quite a convenient time. I'm, I'll hear you again later uh, when, when it's more convenient. Go away for now, and then I'll call you when it's more convenient. 
And it says in verse 26, he hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul that he might loose him. Wherefore he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. Okay, so uh, even more so on top of that, Felix is like, look, Paul, if you just give me money like everyone else, I can let you go. Uh, he's, he's like, if, if you would just do this whole bribe thing, then I could let you go, but it wasn't going to happen. Paul, again, in his clean conscience, wasn't, was going to do things the right way. And then it says, after two years, Porcius Festus came on into Felix's room. He took uh, over Felix's position. And Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. All the way to the end, still, still putting off the decision that he needed to make. And not, o- not only with Paul and leaving him bound when he should have been let go, but even uh, the decision to come to know Christ, he puts it off uh, in his life. And, and I, I can't help but think as I look at that and see Felix under conviction, trembling, and yet instead of turning to Christ, he puts it off. He procrastinates. He's waiting for a more convenient time. But as I said at the beginning of the message, really, there is never a convenient or easy time to do, uh, to do really anything. There's always a way that we can, or always an excuse we can come up with. Uh, but but he's, he says, I'm not going to make that decision now. Uh, and too often, I think a lot of people today uh, the reason they don't come to faith in Jesus Christ isn't just because of un- not understanding the gospel, but because of procrastination and putting off their decision to receive the truth of the gospel. A uh, pastor by the name of Skip Heidsegg said it this way. He said, atheism has slain its thousands. Procrastination has slain its tens of thousands. That it's not so much... People never coming to know Christ, not because they don't have an understanding of the gospel or that uh, they don't even believe that that could be true, but because they keep putting off the decision to accept the gospel or to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. But the Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. Like we, when we hear the word of Christ and we are convicted about it, we need to accept it right then and there uh, is the time to come to know Christ. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you don't know that if you die today that you would spend forever in eternity with him. I pray that today would be your day of salvation, that you would come to know uh, Jesus Christ. And if you don't know that, come and find me afterwards. I would love to show you from the word of God how you can know that so that you can, with those of us who do know, spend eternity in heaven one day with Christ and to know that your sins are forgiven. But not just even so in the decision of coming to know Christ, but many Christians, I think, are living today unfulfilled and burdensome lives every day, not because they don't understand what God is telling them to do, but because they continuously put off making that decision and actually disciplining themselves to uh, make spiritual decisions and to follow through with them. I think one of the greatest plagues of Christianity right now is procrastination. Uh, we keep waiting for a convenient time for everything. I'll share the gospel with my coworkers when uh, when it's convenient. I'll start reading my Bible and spending time in prayer when uh, my schedule opens up a little bit more and I have time to do so. I'll, I'll get involved in the church and use my gifts when and uh, I'll stand up for Christ when I get out of high school because uh, then I'll get to college. It's a fresh start. I can do so in college and then we get to college and we say, I'll do so in the workplace when I get older because it's kind of hard right now in college to stand for Christ. Uh, uh, but 
It's never a convenient time, really, or an easy time to just uh, follow what Christ has called us to do. Friends, it, it really is never convenient. You're always going to be able to come up with a reason not to do it. So what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? Because really the time is now, and this idea is all throughout Scripture. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. And then I think of Ecclesiastes chapter 12 when Solomon at the end of his life is writing uh, this final chapter and the very end he says, here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. But at the beginning of that chapter he says this, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. And then if you go through it, I love how he illustrates it, but he basically says, because you're going to just keep growing old and not be able to do as much as you used to and then one day you're going to die. Okay, so stop putting it off is what Solomon says. Now, fear God, keep his commandments, serve the Lord now. The time is now. So what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? If you're here today and again you say, I don't know if I'm saved. I pray that today you would come to the conclusion to say, man, I'm done waiting. I'm going to make that decision today to know Jesus Christ as my savior. If you're here and you do know Christ, what area of your life, what area of your life do you know God wants you to take that next step, but you're just putting it off? You're putting it off. Maybe your next step is uh, to, to get baptized, to publicly identify with Christ in that way. Maybe you need to get into the Bible. Maybe you need to spend time in prayer each day. Maybe you need to step out by faith and start to share the gospel with friends or with family or with coworkers. Whatever step God is working in your life to take, what are you waiting for? What are we waiting for? Why don't we take that next step? The time is now. Don't let the word of God and the working of God in our heart just move us emotionally. That's, that was Felix's problem. It wasn't that he wasn't convicted. It wasn't that he didn't understand what God was calling him to do. It was that he kept putting it off. It, it didn't change him. It changed him emotionally, but it didn't change him volitionally. It didn't change his will. It didn't move him to action. And don't let the word of God or the working of God in your heart to say, you need to take this next step. Don't let that just move you emotionally. God, yeah, I need to do that. Let it move you volitionally to say, hey, in my, to the best of my ability, with the grace of God, with the help of God, I'm going to actually put that into action. I'm going to take that next step today. Because if it, if it only moves us emotionally and it doesn't change, uh, it doesn't move us to action, we don't put it into practice, really it is worthless. James says, faith without works is dead. A faith that doesn't move you to action is a dead faith. So what are you waiting for? Don't put it off. Whatever God's speaking to us about, the time is now. Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media and tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.